Dear brethren, worse sin, things accelerate around the world scene. So we are commanded to watch, although that has more than one meaning, mainly to watch upon ourselves, our condition, spiritual condition, but also to watch world events as we have been warned by God what things will happen. I thought today, brethren, thinking of, if you want to go to Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18, chapter 29, verse 18, in the book of Proverbs, it says, where there is no revelation, and uh, it's, I would say, better translated somewhere else, where it says, where there is no prophetic vision. And God has given us plenty of that, brethren, for the next few years, then for 1,000 years, and then on for eternity with the new heavens and the new earth. Where there is no prophetic vision, I will dare to put there, the people cast off restraint. And you know, at the same time as events accelerate on the world scene towards the fulfillment of the prophecies and the return of Jesus Christ, we see the amazing power of the media, the Internet and Facebook to absorb people's attention so that we are continually distracted that we heard in the, in the sermonette is part of that, of course. And there is a conspiracy, we know by the prince of the power of the earth, to keep people distracted continually. When Christ warns us to be watching, we have to heed, don't, I mean, excuse me, I put some French words sometimes in my speech. <laughs> I spent about one month in Europe there and, you, you will forgive me for that, but okay. So, where there is no prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. And all things are okay. We see that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Christ described that. There was no vision. People didn't believe. Of course, they didn't know how deep in sin they were. In the times of Noah, although Noah was a preacher of righteousness, People don't seem to, be, to have been ready for this or to have repented. So we have to be here, brethren, the exception because we are given a lot of understanding about our time in the near future. But happy is who keeps the law. That means that when there is prophetic vision, when we see and discern the times that we are in, that will prom motivate us to be more zealous in keeping God's law, all of it, especially loving God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our might, which is the absence of distraction, is the perfect definition of concentration. We could take it that way, brethren. So with that in mind, let's go to First Peter chapter, Second Peter, excuse me, brethren, Second Peter chapter 1. In verse 19, it seems that as we approach the fulfillment of those events that Jesus Christ predicted, it seems that things become more evident. I will not be dogmatic today. I'm no prophet, brethren. But God gives us warnings, and we should be watching the horizon to see things approaching. That we need to do. So I will be careful not to make... Uh, you know, statements, dogmatic statements about things that are going to be fulfilled, we know what's going to happen. We just know, don't know exactly how. But there are indications that we'll share with you today that are very interesting. So Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19, we also have the prophetic word made more sure, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. This world becoming darker and darker brethren. Just amazing how corrupt the educational system is becoming. Commanded by the UN and the UNESCO brethren, making the teaching of 
They call it sexual education. Is, there are things I don't want to mention here. But it's just overwhelming to see how deep corruption is going and how the devil has prepared the ground by eliminating from school all religious teaching. And so people forget the law of God, whatever little they knew in other times. It's almost forgotten, and then the devil comes in and attack. And now he's attacking, as we mentioned before, the childhood, brethren, to corrupt childhood from their earliest age. So we see the prophetic word made more sure, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. When we're reaching the fullness of iniquity, we still have this prophetic vision that help us to see, give us light, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, until the return of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of all prophecy. I would like, brethren, now to invite you to come with me to chapter 24 of the book of Matthew. I don't pretend to go over all of it, maybe some points only, that will go allow us to to study today of these predictions that Christ announced and that are a tremendous warning as we see things being fulfilled. First, I would say, without, it's not my purpose now, but our president seems to be accelerating things. You know, it, it helps us to see how he is doing things. Probably is not aware of it. I speak with respect. You know, we have to respect authority. But he seems to be accelerating the fulfillment of prophecy. One of the first things he did, and I have a quote here by Mr. Rod McNair, but one of the first things he did, and I think it was last year, shortly after his election, he, he went to Germany and told the, the German people and the German government, you should be working on your own defense. We have been taking that burden for 70 or more years. Now is your time to go ahead and develop your own defense. Brethren, that's just amazing. For us, it's pretty clear what that means. You know, the power and the, and the production lines of Germany they have a surplus of all these good cars they produce and they export to the whole world. If they have a chance to use that technology to start producing, you know, they already do. But they, to increase the production of weapons, of tanks and, and submarines, they don't mind it. They were not very noisy about it, but they were happy about it. That they are giving green light and the stigma of the Nazi regime is kind of being disappearing or being forgotten. And uh, it's just amazing what it, I am going to read here <clears throat> is one of the things that we're seeing in the horizon. If he tells the Germans, go ahead, use your own technology, and they are great engineers, they are very gifted people, very efficient, they can start building a real powerhouse there in a short time. And then uh, Mr. Rod Magner quoted here in his article about the future of Germany in the Tomorrow's World magazine, the edition of July-August 2018. He said, on the 22nd of June 2015, at the Alliance Forum in Berlin, United States Defense Secretary Ashton Carter praised Germany Germany's steps in taking on a great military leadership role. He urged the, urged the Germans to invest even more money into defense, saying that Germany should bolster its defense spending to ensure that Germany defense investments match Germany's leadership role. Pretty amazing. As a declaration. Now, Mr. Trump went then and, and gave them in last year to confirm this, gave them green light. We fully agree with you. You are free. Go ahead. I bet you they are moving quickly to, to do things, my friends. And then uh, 
he went. So that's the preparation of the king of the north. You know that. I don't need to give you all the details. But that open door from the United States is a green light. Go ahead, prepare the ground for the coming of the king of the north and the military power he's going to use. And we know in the, in the prophecy of Daniel, chapter 11, his attack, which is going to, to direct against Egypt and the king of the south. Then he went to Egypt, and he had a meeting with the <clears throat> crown prince, you know, Mohammed ben Salman, and with the president of Egypt. And he told them, okay, we will sell you. And remember that Egypt has a lot of American weaponry since the peace treaty that was celebrated in Camp David between Menachem Begin, when he was the prime minister of Israel, and Anwar Sadat, when he was the president of Egypt. And then, in, as a reward, America poured weapons and billions of arms upon Egypt. On top of that, you know, Arab Saudi Arabia is the number one buyer of arms in the world. They have the money to do it. And Mr. Trump said to them, we are going to give you, to sell to you, to sell you $100 billion. You can verify this in arms. And you will take care of holding Iran and fighting terrorism for us. So, but actually, the actual deal is $300 billion to Saudi Arabia and Egypt. There are prophecies that say they will be, in all probability, will be allied as the king of the south. You know, the Egyptians and in in Saudi Ismailite people are very close. You know that Agar was the mother of Ishmael, and she was Egyptian. And she found an Egyptian wife for his son Ishmael. That means that the Saudis are three-quarters Egyptians. The Ismailites, so they are very closely related. That might explain the, that fact. We also understand by prophecy that uh, Libya, Egypt, and Ethiopia will be part of that king of the south. So here is Mr. Trump accelerating events in an amazing way. And now, as far as we can observe, I'm watching the, the Wall Street Journal, he is starting a new trade war. Brethren, that's pretty amazing since people know, and he should have people around him, that the Great Depression was, called, was caused mainly by a trade war and that that Great Depression did bring about the Second World War. There is a famous economist, and I saw that in a report that Mr. my dear friend, Mr. Don Davis, he distributes in headquarters. Uh, there is a quote by a famous economist, a libertarian economist called Mr. Bastiat. He said, when goods do not cross borders, soldiers will. And we have seen that. And we have seen China just filling the vacuum in an amazing way with the new Silk Road. They are encompassing almost the whole world with investments. They are ready to fill the vacuum that the United States is creating by creating uh, this situation with a cold, uh, I mean, with a trade war. I'm going to read to you a little uh, something that I, I, cut off from, I cut from the Wall Street Journal. It says, historian Kindleberger sums up what happened in the 1930s when competitive devaluations compounded trade disputes. Now, there, Turkey is devaluating his money because Mr. Trump now is raising tari tariffs also to Turkey. When every country turned to protect its national private interest, Remember, let's make America great again. If you put that in 
are blind to other things that should be taken into account. I repeat, when every country <clears throat> turned to protect its national private interest, the world public interest went down the drain. Everybody was hurt. And with it, the private interests of all. End of quote. Without a change of direction, that's where Mr. Trump is headed. So we are seeing things happening, brethren, and many more things can be said about that, but I will go into some other aspect now I would like to share with you. You know, I just came back from Europe, and uh, the things are very tense in Europe, very tense. People are, so to speak, fed up with terrorism. And we can expect that terrorism is going to come back with a vengeance. The ISIS state has been defeated in Syria. They lost all the territory they had taken. Now they are doing terrorist attacks in the Middle East. Well, you can be sure, brethren, as I will read to you from documents that are on the Internet that many people are not aware of, they are coming back. And they know how to wait. They wait until the guard is lowered, and then they come in. We can expect that. I will show it to you. So let's read what Jesus Christ said concerning the end time. I invite you to go to Matthew 24 and verse, verse 3. Matthew 24, verse 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You know, the whole world, brethren, is deceived concerning this. The so-called Christianity does not know the true Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul clearly states, and you should take a note of this, you all probably should be aware of this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 4, that there is another Jesus. And he was warning the Corinthians, even in his time, that there was another Jesus. And you all know this, brethren, but it's very important to know that the whole world is going to be deceived by that false Jesus. So that's coming again with the miracles that we know is going to, are going to happen. So, you know the world worships a Jesus with long hair. And I, do, I won't go into all this detail, but Mr. Ames did publish a very fine article, I think in the previous uh, Tomorrow's World Magazine about the true Jesus. And it's very important to understand even these things that seem physical. But Jesus Christ was not a Nazir. Nazir is a consecrated. He was consecrated, but he did not have the vow of not, you know, of, of shaving his head and letting his hair grow. Otherwise, the Bible tells us the only ones that were allowed to let their hair grow were the Nazarites, for the time of their vow, and they could not drink wine or anything from the grapevine, and they could not approach a dead body. Christ did drink wine. He did approach dead bodies. He resurrected people, even touched them. You know the examples. I don't I need to give them. And then all the art that is in the world, in the churches and museums, they present the false Christ, and people think that's Jesus Christ. You go to the National Gallery in London, it's full with, with sacred art, as they call it. And they show a false Christ with a very languid face, you know, almost effeminate, very weak, and long hair. Jesus Christ was not that way. And I think we all know that. I don't need to repeat too much that. That could be just a whole sermon to explain how he did really appear. He was a tough man who learned 
the trade of carpentry from his father since his youth, and they have to break heavy stones with a mass, you know, with this, let, head, how do you call that? Hammer, you know, this, that's the top. If you have done that and you hit a, a big rock with a hammer, all your body trembles. It takes a tough person to do that, and he learned that from his youth, and to cut those beams by hand and to lift them. He was a well-built, masculine man. And we people have a complete different image of Jesus Christ. There are no paintings of him because none of his disciples would ever attempt to make an illustration of Jesus Christ because they know he is God. And the second commandment forbids to make any illustrations or images. And you go to the National Gallery, you go to the Louvre in Paris, you go to Museo El Prado in Madrid, and you go to any church, Orthodox or Christian or Catholic, and you find images of a false Christ. That's what people have in their minds, the image of a false Christ with long hair. The Bible tells us it's a shame for a man to grow his hair, and Paul was writing inspired by Jesus Christ. So we know that. And there are many other things. He, he wasn't born on the 24th of December at midnight. That's a false date for a birth. We know that he did not die on a Friday. We know he did not resurrect on a Sunday. We know he is not the Lord of Sunday, the Lord's day. According to all Christianity, he said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath day. In my words, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Therefore, he is still the Lord of the Sabbath. That's what we are here today. So this is a false Christ who came to abolish the law of God, and he said, I kept my father's commandments, and many other things. He was not a weakling anyway, but there are many other things, and people are deceived, and they are going to be deceived very much with false images of that Christ, and people will have to worship them or a false Christ, probably very soon. So let's continue. Take heed that no one deceives you, verse 4. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Of course, this has been true since he spoke these words until now. There are many rumors of wars all throughout 2,000 years. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So we know all these wars will come. Now we have two world wars. Four, nation will rise against nation. I will dare to think maybe he's giving us a more concrete sign of the time we are in right now. It could be, brethren, I'm not dogmatic, but it could be as some things I'm going to share with you. That nation will rise against nation. And then he said kingdom against kingdom. But he puts first nation against nation. You know, brethren, that that word nation means ethnic, ethnos, an ethnic group. What is an ethnic group? An ethnic group are people with a common origin. If you look on the dictionary, common origin, common language common religion, common culture. You know, in Europe, to bring a concrete example, there is a lot of ethnic tension between the Muslim population, which, according to statistics in France, is over 10 to 12 million. And they never really assimilate into the culture of France or into society. They continue to be a separate group with their own religion, their own, their own religion, their own language. They have kept it all throughout the years, brethren. And in Germany, there are several million now of Muslims. The, late, the latest one, one million of them came from Syria. And then many, uh, at least two million Turks were there before. And then in Spain, it seems reaching two million now. And... There is a lot of tension. Now, what 
we can think could happen, brethren. If terrorist attacks continue, it seems it's going to happen even worse. And well organized in different places. There is a moment where the population will ask for a strong hand that will solve that problem not with politically correct, you know, initiatives, but people are not saying that that's what must be done. It's, we are here observing, my dear brethren, watching the world, but that is very possible. If this continues and increases, people will ask for a strong hand to take care of that situation, to take radical measures. We might be on the brink of a terrible ethnic conflict in Europe, brethren. Maybe repercussions will come here, but not as strong between those, these two ethnic groups. So why do I say that? We know in recent history, brethren, in Yugoslavia, the Balkans, where there are different ethnic nations. There are the Croatians, who are Catholic and have their own language, their own religion, their own culture. There are the Serbs, who are Orthodox, who have their own language, their own religion, their own culture. And there are the Albanian, the, the Bosnians. They are the main groups who are Muslim. They are Muslims. They are, the Bosnian people are Muslims. And we know through history they were part of the real Church of God. And just in parentheses here, they will offer when the Turks came because they were persecuted by the Catholics and by the Orthodox because they kept the Sabbath. They were called Bogomils, which means the friends of God. That's in our booklet about the church history throughout the ages. So they became weak. That happens always in every era of the church. We went through that, and we have to be careful. We don't go through it again, my dear brethren. They became weak, and the Turks offered them you become Muslims, and we will put you in positions of authority. That was part of the strategy they used. And then the remnant of them went through the Alps, you know, and we know that part of church history. Well, anyway, they are, they are Muslims today. You have three ethnic groups there. How did, were able they to live, let's say, we cannot say peace, but at least to, to have relative peace? Because of an iron fist that was... Marshal Bros Tito, who was a, a hero of the Second War of the Resistance against the Nazi regime, and he was respected by both Croatians and Serbs. He would not allow any manifestation of ethnic dissidents, of ethnic conflict. He would quench them with an iron fist. And I remember when he died, the Plain Truth magazine produced an article written by Mr. Jim Hogberg. What's going to happen in the Balkans? What's going to happen in Yugoslavia now that Mr. Uh, the Marshal Brostito is dead? Brethren, probably you remember what was the ethnic cleansing, the horrible things that happened in the Balkans, the horrible ethnic conflicts that erupted when that iron fist was removed. The same thing happened in Iraq. I think our politicians did not know in their naivete. They thought we go to Iraq, we take out Saddam Hussein, we offer democracy, and they're going to live in peace with each other. Brethren, that's really naivete, not knowing really what we're getting into. What happened there, again, is the same thing. There were three ethnic groups in Iraq. There was the Kurds, there were the Sunnis, and Saddam Hussein was a Sunni, and the Shiites, who hate each other, there was no way that they're going to live in peace under democracy. There, what happened when the Americans took away Saddam Hussein, a civil war erupted in Iraq, and the United States was found itself between the two sides. The Shiites were heavily oppressed by Saddam Hussein, and the, the Sunnis were in power, and the Kurds were even bombed with poison bombs, you know, gas, poison gas, but he kept them in their place with an iron fist. 
America removed Saddam Hussein, and we have a mess there, my friends. What that tells us, when ethnic conflict comes up, the only human solution is an iron fist. And people are going to fed up. They are going to ask for it. That's why it says ethnos against ethnos. And then it says kingdom against kingdom. That means the ethnic conflict, and that's probably where we are now about to start seeing is an eruption of terrorism again. And I'm going to read to you what they plan, brethren. I took this from a French site in the Internet. And it says here, it was a page or an article called The Echoes, Les Echoes in French, from June 27. It says here, the jihadists dream of provoking a civil war in Europe. They dream of it. They think if they create anarchy, the Islam is going to triumph because they see a sinful, you know, they, they judge and in certain ways they are right. They see how degenerate morally our society is becoming. So the jihadists dream of provoking a civil war in Europe. They are not going to be content with a, a terrorist act here and there. They want to provoke something systematically. And I'm going to read to you how they want to do it. And where we have seen that type of method. It says, this doctrine of ISIS, remember ISIS was defeated in Syria. They are full of bitterness, brethren. They are ready to start coming back to Europe. Somebody told me in Belgium there were over 5,000 of them on their way back to Europe. Because many of them were born in Belgium and were born in France. So they are on their way back and they are waiting. But we can tell this is going to in, in, increase. And the interesting thing is that why does Christ said nation against nation, ethnos against net, ethnos, and immediately after kingdom against kingdom? Because, as we're going to see, the ethnic conflict is going to be the catalyst to produce the king of the north and the catalyst to produce the, re the reaction of the king of the south. I will speculate a little bit, but we must be attentive to these things. And reading this, I think we have elements to think this might be about to happen and increase in intensity. Why did Christ put that there? Ethnos against ethnos. That means it has to be something very, not a passing thing, something very serious, very intense. And I'm sure here in the United States will be so. You know, 9-11 happened here. But I'm sure they're planning mainly, I don't know. In, I'm sure they are planning, they want to defeat all the Western world. So I read this for you. I took notes from this uh, French and translated for you. The jihadist dream of provoking a civil war in Europe. This doctrine of ISIS is based on a work of 1,600 pages published in Arabic on the Internet in 2004. I remember Dr. Meredith did take some of that information and distribute it in headquarters. Maybe in, in, the, in the Council of Elders. Maybe he sent it to all ministry. I don't remember. About what was the ideology of ISIS. And remember, they are not defeated. They lost their territory, but they, they are going to come back with a vengeance. It is unknown by the general public. It's in Arabic. Very few people know Arabic. But abundantly quoted in the Islamic forums on the Internet as a call for a worldwide Islamic resistance. Resistance. It is a project for the conquest of the world as a religious duty, a conquest of the world. So this is a whole plan being executed here, brethren. The strategy is to refuse the combat in the open field. You know, there are three things that describe terrorism. The first terrorist act in record in human history is in chapter 17 of the book of Exodus, when Amalek, who was the son of Esau, 
And remember, Esau married a daughter of Ishmael. They are related. It's important to have these things in mind. We can discern what's behind the scenes better than any geopolitical aspect in the world. So, what happened with Amalek? He did three things. He attacked on the back. And God said to Moses, remember what he did. And you take care of him. And then he says, but you know, he's still around. There is many things, there are many interesting studies to be made about his presence in Iran by studying the book of Esther. Maybe we have a chance to do it someday. The strategy is to refuse the combat in the open field. First characteristic, they attack civil population. And they attack from the back when people are completely unaware. And number three, they do not face the army. That's exactly what Amalek did in the desert. Remember, he's related to Ishmael, and he's related to Esau, because Esau married a Mahalat, a daughter of Ishmael. So if we go deep into the Bible, we discover the roots of this conflict, brethren. It says, refuse the combat in the open field, and with armies with a superior technology, but provoke a civil war in Europe using the important Islamic communities, generating attacks against the police, the churches, the malls, the great cultural and sport events. It says to exhaust, in order to exhaust the security forces and set the populations against the Muslims. Some people want to have a tranquil life. I have met many of them when I went to school in, in Europe, in France. They, they don't want to radicalize. But people are going to turn because they don't know who is a terrorist. The only thing people know, and you know, maybe the intelligence service will know more who is a terrorist. But the general population that feels attacked, they know they are Muslims. So they turn against the whole Muslim community. And this man, I'm going to tell you his name, he knows that. So this will force the Muslim to radicalize because they will multiply terrorism and people will turn against and ask for a strong hand and generate an ever-increasing, incontrollable violence of revenge and retaliations. They want total chaos, my dear friends. The author, the author name is Abu Musab al-Suri, a 59-year-old man whose track was lost in a Syrian prison in 2014. Well, he wrote a work of 1,600 pages giving all the instructions on how to provoke a civil war in Europe. Now, in the latest, uh, I, I subscribe to a French magazine called Lobs to know what's going on over there from a closer point of view. And they just discovered, and this magazine is from, is the edition from the 27th of June, 2018. They discover a plot to destroy the Eiffel Tower by a father and two sons, Muslims. They went and have training. They went to Syria. On the way back to France, they arrested them, and they got into their documents, into their computers, and they discovered this man was an engineer. His son was a student of, uh, of computer science. They are very educated people. They were planning to do with the Eiffel Tower what would happen in 9-11 here with the Twin Towers. They have, they, they had all, they were, they have all the Interestingly, from the, from the Internet, they talk how to conduct a Boeing, the same type of plane that was used to destroy the Twin Towers. You imagine, and here is the proof, there, there are pictures that they took, and they even simulated this, the Eiffel Tower coming down. They were obsessed by it. You imagine what that will do. The French consider, they call it the Iron Lady, the Eiffel Tower, and consider it a symbol of France. You know, 
is one of the first things you see about France is the Eiffel Tower. They discovered that plot, the French police, they were about, they were preparing to, this, to bring down the Eiffel Tower. That would provoke the whole population, my friends. That would provoke probably a civil war of people crying out for a, for a strong hand. So people would be willing to accept a strong hand coming out. And a strong hand means he has all the authority. We know about the beast that he will receive all authority from ten kings. He will be able to make decisions like Adolf Hitler was able to achieve, to have absolute authority on the party and on Nazi Germany. So, it's a man called Lofty and his two sons, 17 and 20 years old, they were planning to bring down the Eiffel Tower. Now they have put a circle around it. I don't know if someone was there recently with crystal, you know, armored crystal, armored glass around the Eiffel Tower to protect it from an attack. Well, these people were probably attacking. They had maps of the landing routes into Paris. They have all the diagram of the commanding, you know, instruments in a Boeing. This is from June of this year, brethren. They had that in mind. They want to create chaos. And there it says here, Anyway, there was also recording in one of those disks they recover from their computers. This says, things are going to happen and they will be worse than 9-11. So that makes us think that that prophecy of Christ, Ethnos, will rise against Ethnos, is going to become very serious. You know, if he put it there, it's because it's going to be something very, very meaningful in, in our present history, my dear brethren. So what I wanted to mention to you when I, I, I bring these things out is it's interesting that Christ says here, I repeat again, and Jesus answered and said to them, verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. I mentioned to you the crisis and the social situation. People are going to ask for a king, for a strong hand. Probably they won't ask for a king. But it's interesting, Mr. Armstrong thought that the next restoration of Rome will be under a king or under an emperor. Maybe because of the description of the Bible about being the king of the north and the king of the south. That doesn't mean absolutely that it has always to be a king, but it could be a king. It's a leader. Sometimes in the Bible we find some people called kings and they are just leaders. So <clears throat> what happens is that we know there is someone behind the scenes, brethren, and I will not be dogmatic about this either, but we had an announcement recently here in the bulletin about this person. Probably I won't mention his name. But there is someone who is, belongs to the nobility, who is a baron, who has been in government in key positions in Germany. He was a minister of defense. He was a minister of finance for Germany, a very capable young man. He's 46 years old. He's waiting behind the scenes. When he went to Germany a few months ago, the leaders that encounter him, they want to welcome him back into German politics. And they said, and it was published in our bulletin, he's our savior. We need someone like him. He lives in the United States now in Connecticut, but he complains, and I have seen some of his lectures, that there's a huge vacuum of leadership in Europe. You know, you don't see a, a leader in Europe that, who has a high profile that people refer to him. It's almost, the, the leadership in the European Union is almost, almost anonymous, you know? When you know his name and then they change for another one, 
And he complains they have not been able to stand to the Soviet, to Putin, you know, to Russia. And uh, in a way, he, he suggests he's the man. And some people think he has the charisma, he has the ability, he has the experience at his long, young age. And he's waiting behind the scenes, brethren. And he's the one that many people are expecting to come at the right moment into the scene and start making radical decisions. This is going to be a great conflict, brethren, where you speak of 10 or 12 million Muslims just in France, several million in Germany, even 2 million in Spain and in Holland and in Scandinavia. They are all over the place. And we see there is a movement that is being organized for this world con conquest. So it might be, brethren, then, like I say to you, that the ethnic conflict will be the catalyst of the coming of the king of the south and the king of the north. Why do I say the king of the south? One of the questions that has come to us several times in the past, what will provoke Egypt and probably Saudi Arabia to attack Europe? It's very possible that because of terrorism and people asking for a strong hand, that a man will come and will take radical measures, it will be practically a civil war against Islam. And probably Saudi Arabia will say, or Egypt, why do you attack them all? They are not all terrorists. That might provoke an attack when they start taking radical measures. I don't want to describe them. I don't know what they will be. But they are me very, a real trouble in Europe, brethren. Real, something big. There is no other reason why Christ would have predicted that in such a distinct way. So that will provoke the king of the north to come up to solve that problem. And the measures he will take probably will arouse the king of the south by saying, why do you attack all Muslims? That might cause them to want to attack Europe. And they will have the weapons necessary to direct an attack against Europe after Mr. Trump will sell them $300 billion in arms. So I wanted, part of this is all speculation, brethren, but God tells us, watch. And we have reasons that are real to believe that this thing is coming and is coming soon. So I don't want to go all the rest of the book of of uh, Matthew 24, brethren, because, of course, it would be too ambitious to do in a sermon, but what does God tell us we should do as we see things coming? And maybe this will help us, brethren, to discern when things start really exploding, mainly in Europe, to understand in what part of prophecy we are right now. We might be on the verge or seeing that conflict explode the ethnic conflict and on the verge of seeing the ethnic conflict provoking the coming of the king of the north and the king of the south and the conflict between the two. And we know that from then the end will be very, very soon. We can count the days once certain things happen when the king of the north will be in Jerusalem, which now is going to end up down there after smashing the king of the south. And, you know, apart the, let's look, for example, just to review Daniel chapter 11, what's going to happen then. I, I painted to you a possibility, and here is what we know for sure is going to happen. In chapter 11 of the book of, Math, of Daniel, verse 40. Daniel 11:40. He says, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, the king of the north. I'll re-explain, probably because of the radical measure he's taking against the Muslim population in Europe. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. This is the first phase of the third world war. 
with chariots, which now Mr. Trump has authorized openly, frankly, the whole world, Germany, to build their own defense. And they will come like a whirlwind. There is a style of war called Blitzkrieg, means the lightning war, which was used by the Germans. It has been used in, during the Second War, very famously, with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. That means on his way to Egypt, it seems he will stop in Jerusalem. He will, that's the possibility. But this shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. We know that Moab will escape probably because Petra is in what used to be Moab, which is Jordan today. And probably they will escape because God wants his pilgrims, which is refugees, to be protected in Petra. Very possible. And he shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians, which will be, will be part of the king of the south, shall follow at his heels. They will, be, they will surrender. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. We know that will be the next confrontation with the king of the east. So we have the king of the north in Europe, the king of the south in Egypt and Saudi Arabia, and the kings of the east. Those are the three fronts of the third world war, which probably we know will be Russia and probably China and probably Iran and even Ukraine. Why do we think Iran and Ukraine might be part of those kings of the east? Remember that we know that the majority of the population of the country of Iran is Persian. And we know in the church that the Ukrainian people are the Medes of antiquity. We know that Cyrus was half Mede and half Persian. And he united both kingdoms. And God gave him, you can find that in Isaiah 44, inspired that he will dry the river. You say the rivers, but it's a plural of majesty referring to the great Euphrates River. God will dry the river for Cyrus to conquer Babylon. The last restoration of the imperial Rome in Europe will be called the Great Babylon. And God used the Euphrates in antiquity for Cyrus to be able to conquer Babylon. And we know that in the book of Revelation, in the last plagues, the sixth last plague, plague before the last one will dry the waters of the Euphrates River to give way to the kings of the east that come after a nuclear attack to completely destroy Great Babylon. So prophecy is dual. So it's possible that Iran and Ukraine, even if they don't like the Russians, they will be part of those kings of the east that will come to destroy the seventh restoration of Rome. So, he says here in verse 45 about the beast, he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas. I mean, the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. He says, and the glorious holy mountain. In the glorious holy mountains, because we know by Revelation chapter 11 that they will take Jerusalem for 42 months. That's where they will plant the tents of their palace and their government to imitate the false Christ, imitating the rule of the true Christ who is about to appear 42 months later. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. In the book of, of Ezekiel chapter 30, we see the same prophecy. If you want to see that, brethren, just to amplify a little bit that vision, it says, chapter 30 of the book of Ezekiel, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me again, saying, 
Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the day. So he's speaking of the end time, like Daniel 11.40 was speaking of the end time. For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, the, the time of the Gentiles. The sword shall come upon Egypt. We know that happened with Nebuchadnezzar, and will happen with the king of the north as a response to the attack from the king of the south. And he says, And great anguish shall be in Ethiopia when the slain fall in Egypt, and they take away her wealth, and her foundations are broken down. So we see clearly here that will be attack from the king of the north to the king of the south, and then they will settle his headquarters in Jerusalem. I can continue, but I don't have much more to say except that the conclusion of this book that was given to me by Mr. Vincent Lorde is called The European Roman Empire. He's a lawyer that dedicated his free time to write this book as the only hope for Europe. And he says here, Europe, he's quoting, actually it's interesting, he's quoting the editor of this magazine I show you first where they discover that they wanted to, dis to destroy the Eiffel Tower. He's quoting the editor of that magazine, and he says, Europe is asking for a myth, something powerful that will infuse in it the vigor similar to the one that built the nations. That means Europe needs a myth. And the Pope said, uh, John Paul II in Santiago de Compostela in Spain, Europe, revive your roots. So it says here it needs a myth to infuse the vigor similar to the vigor that created the nations, the spirit of nationality. I'm a French, I'm a German, I'm Italian. But they say there is a force that could do it. It's the re restoration of the empire the Roman Empire, which we have been preaching for over 60 years or more. This myth will become a reality. It is the empire. I mean, the restoration of the Roman Empire in Rome, the seventh restoration that God calls Great Babylon in the end time. In this empire is the European Roman Empire, a restoration that all European is indebted to, in which unconsciously every European feels he is an heir and a citizen of that empire. So they are looking for a myth, for something powerful that will convince them we are part of the restoration of the Holy Roman Empire and overwhelm, overcome the, the nationalities you know, that don't allow that empire to come through. In the prophecy of Daniel, he says that this man, who is Antiochus, who is a figure of the beast, will be helped by a few. It's interesting that in Revelation, we know that the beast power, the beast, the man, will be held by ten kings. And he will restore that empire. It will be por probably be a restoration of the Hasburg Empire under a king. And I mentioned this to you before. He says here, the restoration of that European empire to which all Europeans are in debt and they unconsciously feel heirs and citizens. We know what that myth will be, brethren. It will be the miracles worked by the false prophet. They will bring fire down from heaven in the presence of the beast. People will be absolutely mesmerized. They will be filled with a mystic of the empire that will give them, infuse in them. These people are very intelligent and know it takes a very powerful event to have people to break their national interest and want to be part of that empire that ruled Europe for so long and that was above the borders. 
So he says, all Europeans are in debt and they unconsciously feel they are citizens of that empire. And then it's interesting, a quote at the end, I will imagine I'm going to finish before time. That's a surprise. Surprise for my boss. So, <clears throat> it says here, it should be called the European Roman Empire. The author of this book is called Thierry Boudiot. Thierry Boudiot. It's in French, but he took all his free time. He's a lawyer. He's a functionary. He has received honorary titles from the government. And he believes in that empire. He believes that's the solution. They don't have a vision of the kingdom of God that we have. They think only uniting Europe under one power is the solution that will bring peace and that will overcome the sense of nationalities that separate Europe, even to this day. So it's interesting that at the end of the book, he says, like in 1992, a famous American economist wrote, his name is Lester Thurow, the European Roman Empire will be the superpower of the 21st century. What do you think he read that, that economist, my friends? We have been saying that, Mr. Armstrong has been saying, he started saying that since the first plane tool that came out in 1934 or something like that. So that's something to think about, brethren, and what's the real end of the story here? Since I have a few minutes, I'll read to you. It's interesting to know these things, but what is the practical application to us? It's not, knowledge is not enough. What do we do about it? And I will read to you what Christ told his disciples when he finished describing the end event, the events of the end time. In chapter 21 of the book of Luke, we find the following warning by Jesus Christ. And he says, about the persecution, it's interesting, he says in chapter 21, verse 12, but before all these things, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But I will turn out for you as it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will send some of you to your death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. The true Jesus, my friends, but not a hair, a hair of your head shall be lost. In your patience, that means perseverance, possess your souls. If we persevere until the end, we will be saved. We will be tested. Maybe some of us again soon. The government is taking measures to the point where we have to practice, you know, peaceful disobedience for the things they want to impose to your children in schools. They want to attend these sexual education classes. You should inform yourself, brethren, probably you are already aware of what they are going to teach your children. And it's commanded by the government. But when you see Jerusalem, but I will go now to the recommendation of Jesus Christ. Verse 24 of chapter 21. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So here is the warning for us. Where there is no prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. 
we started the sermon with that proverb. That's the reason why I gave you these facts that Christ said, ethnic conflict, then the king's coming. We don't know exactly that will happen, as I tell you, but when that, those things happen, we have to be aware that the end is close, and then the, con, the, con, the conclusion of the Proverbs 29:18 is, blessed is he who keeps the law. That means loving God and staying close to him. Verse 36, watch therefore and pray always. Let's not spend so much time in distractions, brethren. This world is all set to keep us distracted continually. That you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple, and at night, he went out and stayed on the Mount of Olives. So those are the words of our master, dear brethren. I hope this will help you to practice that part of watching that we are commanded to do.